Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. It's the Crypto Lark. Very excited to have on today Jeff Berwick. You may know him as the Dollar Vigilante, host of the very successful YouTube channel, The Dollar Vigilante, also host of Anarchast and the creator of Anarchapoco. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Now, I, I want to give you a softball to start off with. What's going on with the markets? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice, easy question to get started <laughs> off with. Uh, uh, well, it's been interesting times. Uh, as you know, uh, we've been kind of in a downtrend uh, all year, actually, uh, basically since the start of the year, almost exactly. Uh, I actually put out a video on, it was around December 20th or something, uh, and it was on YouTube, and the title was, It's Time to Take Profits in, in Crypto and Get Into Gold and Silver and Things Like That. And I got absolutely destroyed because at the time we were at, that was actually one day before the actual top of Bitcoin, right around 20,000. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought Bitcoin was going to a million dollars. Everyone thought every coin was going to a million dollars. Uh, everyone thought gold and silver were just, you know, relics of the past, as, as Alan Greenspan would say. Um, and I got absolutely destroyed, but I actually was only one day away from the actual top of the cryptos. And I actually said since then in our newsletter to subscribers, January, February, March, even up until now, I still haven't said to buy fully yet. I've said we need a, a real serious pullback here. That was way too extreme for the first one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it wasn't the first, uh, you know, peak or anything, but it was like a major one uh, going all the way past its past peak around a thousand dollars to twenty thousand um, dollars. And uh, really, the, the market isn't there yet. Uh, the, the valuations of these things got too extreme. I was saying that a lot. Uh, but not to say that these things aren't going to be absolutely massive in the future, but that's, you know, it takes a little bit of time for these things to actually develop. So, so we've been in this pullback and I still haven't said fully buy yet, although I was a buyer in the last few days a little bit, just buying up little bits and pieces. But I've been waiting for a kind of a panic bottom. I've been waiting for a lot of those crypto kids uh, who all wanted Lambos <laughs> and who all, who all thought like everyone's going to become massively wealthy because of cryptos within a year or so. I'm waiting for a lot of them to start you know, uh, panicking, uh, 
uh, I'm waiting for talks about suicides and stuff like that. Uh, and, and then I'll be like, okay, there's the bottom. That's what we needed to get rid of the sort of the weak hands. Because a lot of those people who were buying, who bought it up to $20,000, many of them just found out about cryptos in the last year mm -hmm. or so. So they came in, they, they got excited about it as they, they should absolutely get excited about it, but they had no idea where the market was, where it should be, what actual valuation should look like. And because of that, and a lot of people getting all excited at once, and that's the 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 craziness of crowds it really pushed up the crypto market to about 800 billion dollar total market capitalization for all cryptos we're currently at about 250 billion which i think is a lot better a lot more reasonable um I'm kind of hoping we get below 200 billion, maybe even 150 billion. There's no guarantees we will. We could be heading up from here. There's no guarantees whatsoever, of course. Of course. But I'd like to see a bit more sell-off. I'd like to see all the ones who really just had uh, crazy hopes and dreams. I'd like to see all their hopes and dreams crushed. <laughs> Not that I'm a bad guy, <laughs> but that, that's that's the way the markets are. The, the, you, you can't just go straight up forever. There has to be pullbacks, and you have to get rid of the weekends, and you have to get back to the point where the people who really own it really know why they own it and are owning it for a reason uh, and you know all the long-term holders people like probably yourself I don't know when you mm -hmm. first bought but I first was buying and well I, I recommended Bitcoin in 2011 at three dollars I didn't buy it myself because the only way to buy it back then was to send wire money to a place in Japan that was a, a magic the <laughs> gathering trading card site and that I was sounds like legitimate yeah, I was like, this is a little sketchy. Uh, I'll wait and see how it develops. So by the time it actually developed to the point where there was some markets out there, the real better markets, and um, it was around $100, $200. That's when I started buying Bitcoin for the first time in larger chunks. And I really bought a lot around 300 to 700 That was my main buyers. Uh, so a lot of people out there think I'm a billionaire or something. I'm not. I, I wasn't buying it at $3. But uh, you know, I did re recommend Ethereum at $2. I did buy some then and, and things like that. But to get back to your, your uh, uh, question, where we're at now. I think we could still see a bit of a sell-off. It really depends on the rest of the markets. And I'm talking about the stock market, the bond market, uh, mm. the financial markets. Um, well, if people we sometimes see... forget that we're not in a bubble with crypto. Yeah. We, we don't just exactly. exist as in complete disconnection to everything else. Absolutely. In fact, we're in a bubble and we're in a bubble in everything thanks to central bank money printing. But you're absolutely right that we are not disconnected from the rest of the markets. This has been... Uh, in many ways, this has been a ben benefactor of uh, central bank money printing, which is kind of funny because that's a lot of the reasons why people own cryptos. And the reason crypto has been going up is because they've been printing a lot of money and a lot of that money needs to go somewhere. And this has been one of the more spe speculative places that people have been putting money into. So crypto has been a recipient of this, but we might see stock markets, bond markets, all kinds of things start to crash as early as pretty much this summer and this fall. Uh, if we're right on our timing and it might not it could last another year or two we don't know but we're, we're going to see some major uh, events in those markets then the question will be what will happen to the cryptos i think mm -hmm. if that if that happens the cryptos will be hurt initially uh, when there's a, a major crash in almost all the markets you, you see kind of like a liquidity crisis and a lot of people just start selling whatever they can because they really don't have anything that they can sell at that moment in time uh, because everything's down so much so they're just like panicking what what's still worth something sell it that's basically the the state of things so if that happens we could see the cryptos go down for a bit but then that would be the buying opportunity of this century Absolutely. basically 
Um, and if that doesn't happen, and if the markets kind of hold together for the next couple of years, uh, we could be close to the bottom in crypto, uh, uh, right around now, 250, 200 billion uh, market cap. I'm pretty comfortable uh, advising people if they don't own any crypto to start buying now, uh, because if you don't start buying now and it co goes up, you might miss your chance to buy at fairly reasonable levels. I find mm -hmm. these, these levels quite reasonable. Bitcoin, about $100 billion market cap, Ethereum, $40 billion. When we were getting into the hundreds and hundreds of billions and nearly a trillion dollars total, that was starting to get too extreme to me for, for where I thought things were. But I'm, I'm quite comfortable where it's at, but we could go lower. So if you're going to be buying now and you've never bought before, definitely buy some now because you never know it could go up from here. Uh, but if but keep some uh, extra assets or, or liquidity around it and buy some more if it goes down further. That's exactly right. You know, dollar cost average in. Don't just go all in today because when it go, you know, when you buy Bitcoin at sixty four hundred today and it goes down to sixty two hundred tomorrow, you go, why didn't I wait? Average in, and it's it it's so much of a reverse psychology situation because everybody always wants to buy when things are pumping like two or three hundred percent. That's kind of the the herd mentality. But you actually have to work against that mentality. And I've been saying on my show. I'm happy to let the bear market continue for a while because the prices are getting great again. You know, for all the people who were saying back in January, gosh, if only I could have bought Bitcoin when it's six thousand dollars. Well, now it is six thousand dollars, but they probably bought at twenty and then sold at seven. Or now they're, you know, the few the few holders on that are going, ah, should I sell it now? For anyone out there who's having that dilemma, just relax, guys. We're we're the crypto market is going places, but it's not going to go places overnight. Now, I wanted yeah, to absolutely. actually hit in on the idea of the dollar. You mentioned it very briefly, and this is something that you talk about a lot on your channel, you know, not just um, the dollar vigilante, but also Anarchast. It's the idea of the dollar and the government and all these things. And I want to start off with the dollar itself because everyone out there thinks that the dollar can never collapse. I feel like there's a lot of exuberance behind the U.S. dollar. People think that could never happen. What do you think about this? Uh, well, that's incredibly uh, short-term, uh, closed-minded thinking because every fiat currency that's not been backed by anything that's been forced on you by a government pretty much in history has gone to zero. Uh, the U.S. dollar right now is down 99.8% from when it was first issued. Uh, we're getting pretty darn <laughs> But Bitcoin's close. doing bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're in a state of, of collapse. We've been in a state of collapse for a while now. It's just ongoing. Uh, the value of the dollar constantly, and this is a constant, this will never change, will always go down in value. Uh, so when people ask, you know, why should I own Bitcoin? It's like, well, Bitcoin might not go down in value constantly forever like the dollar mm -hmm. would. Uh, and um, uh, so, yeah, uh, the people who think that it, it's a very typical thinking when something lasts for more than a couple generations, uh, uh, people start to assume that it's like just a, a fact of life, like like the U.S. dollar will be here like 20,000 years from now or 100,000 years from now. <laughs> like if you actually understand the math of how the thing works, you know, that's actually not even possible. In fact, 20 years from now is pretty pretty much not possible, not in its current form because mm -hmm. of the amount of debt that uh, underpins uh, a lot of it. The U.S. government, for example, has $21 trillion in debt now. That's it's up absurd. from, yeah, I started the Dollar Vigilante in 2010 and I think it was around 10 trillion then. So it's more than doubled uh, in the last eight years. That's Banana Republic debt level sort of levels. Mm -hmm. Of course, they've had to hold down interest rates in order for it to even stay keep everything afloat at this point because with 21 trillion dollars if they allowed interest rates to rise to even five trillion or five percent 
that would be $1 trillion per year in interest payments alone on the U.S. debt, which is about half of the U.S. government's extortion taxation based theft revenue service or whatever they call it, where they're extorting everyone. But it's about half the money that they actually extort from all Americans would have to go just to pay the interest on the debt. So crazy. Um, that system's over. It's dead. It's just a matter of when at this point. Mm. And of course, the, the central banks have been printing money like crazy since 2008. Essentially, what happened, as far as I can tell, in 2008 is we pretty much reached the end of these uh, governments and these central banks and these fiat currencies. But they decided, okay, well, since we're pretty much at the end now, let's just really run it out. Let's bring interest rates down to zero, like on on purpose, like manipulate them down there, even make them negative interest rates, which I didn't even think was possible. These guys have some magic powers or something. Like, how do you get people to lend you money and make them pay for it? Uh, it just makes no sense Bank whatsoever. Magic. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It's it's crazy, and. Um, uh, they also uh, uh, just printing money basically at, at uh, historically un never before seen uh, levels. We've been around 10% per year for years and years now. That's that's pretty crazy. You just do the compound math of that. Essentially, you go to zero in, in five to 10 years pretty quick. If, if you're losing, just do someone with a compound math calculator out there. Uh, start with $100 and lose 10% a year and compound that. How long until you have basically nothing? You'll get down to 0.01 <laughs> cents pretty, I don't know. 15 years, 10 years. Uh, so um, I'm just doing it off the top of my head, but it's pretty quick. You're getting down to like nothing. So um, uh, we're really at the end of this and they, they've just decided, okay, we're just going to print now until all these currencies become worthless. Cause that's the only thing that can happen when you, the only way that they mm -hmm. can keep this thing afloat is to keep printing money. The only way uh, that print, the only thing that will happen is they print money is it devalues the currency as it devalues more and more, which they have to print more and more to keep up with the amount of debt that they have, uh, they will uh, go into hyperinflation, just like we've had in Zimbabwe 10 years ago, just like it's going through in Venezuela. It's happening. We yeah, have a always, over and over, it's, it's, it's happening. Um, the U.S. dollar has actually gone under numerous times. The central, the Federal Reserve was actually the third central bank of the U.S. Uh, there was the, the not worth a continental. Not many people will know this because they don't teach anything about money in schools or the government indoctrination camps mm -hmm. on purpose. Because if you actually Pledge understood how it works, don't <laughs> yeah, worry about what we're doing. Pledge of allegiance. Um, <laughs> But uh, they don't teach you how any of this stuff works. But uh, that Federal Reserve was actually the third central bank. Uh, the, that old saying that mo no kids today would even know because it's so old, not worth a continental. That was one of the U.S. dollars. Uh, and it went uh, worthless during the Civil War, which was actually not even a war. It was an act of aggression, a terrorist attack from the north to the south to keep them in the union under fascist Abraham Lincoln, uh, who still sits with his two hands on fascies. If you look at the Abraham uh, mommy, uh, Lincoln monument in, in the in the uh, Washington District of Criminals. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, this whole system is going down. It's, it's just a matter of when. And I actually said when I started the Dollar Vigilante in 2010 that it'd probably end this decade by the end of this decade. So I still have a year and a half left until uh, we get to 2020, which is about when I said this whole thing will pretty, pretty much come tumbling down. And I, I have like, I don't feel nervous about that prediction at all at this moment. I think we're, we're pretty close to this mm -hmm. thing all come tumbling down uh, in the next couple of years. The, the crazy thing is, is that for any normal, rational person out there, if you go and put your money just in a bank account, you're losing. 
If you put your money in a savings account, you're losing. If you are just, you know, a regular person trying to pay your taxes, you're losing. And if you imagine the, the sense of the, the 21 approaching $22 trillion of debt of the United States, it's so unsustainable and no one's talking about it. You know, they're everyone, the, the media distraction machine is just talking about everything else besides the real elephants in the room. And I see that they've just decided to have a space military program to just as another black hole to dump money into. Of course, that goes against all kinds of international treaties anyway, weaponizing space but as as a economic policy it's just sheer insanity yeah they actually have done this before uh the in 1971 when they took the gold backing away from the dollar when again the u.s was bankrupt this is another time the u.s government went bankrupt and it was after their terrorist attacks <laughs> over in vietnam and cambodia which lasted years where they were literally chemical bombing little kids for years and years people like henry kissinger and mm -hmm. all these criminals uh and these this people are all so you know looked at as heroes now and they get to yeah, go on well, talk shows yeah if you watch television programming and you exactly. believe what you that's what they want you to believe uh, that's exact opposite of course they, like never watch television programming it's called programming for a reason exactly. but uh, back then, uh, they essentially the U.S. was bankrupt. So what happened was there was still a little bit of a tie of the U.S. dollar to gold. And it wasn't for Americans because up until that point, Americans hadn't been allowed to legally own gold since 1933 when it was outlawed uh, in the land of the free. You couldn't even own gold. But <laughs> the, the U.S. Central Bank and the Treasury and the Federal Reserve said, if you want to turn in your dollars as a foreign bank, uh, central bank, uh, we will give you, if you want, if you ask for it, we'll give you gold in return. So this kept a lot of people kind of like, okay, so the U.S. is still, the U.S. dollar is still somewhat backed by gold. After Vietnam, France actually was saying, okay, well, you guys are pretty bankrupt. We don't really want to own a lot of dollars anymore. Why don't you give us back our, our what we uh, lent to you in uh, in gold? And uh, the, the uh, Nixon and all the people there went, <laughs> Uh, we don't even have that gold. They, they brought the, whatever's in Fort Knox that no one's seen in like 70 years, mm -hmm. except for one guy popped his head in and looked in the window last year. That was hilarious. Just a piece of, of paper the, with an IOU on it. Yeah, yeah. It's either not owned by the, the U.S. government, or it's been lent out, or it's even just gone. Who knows? Be mm -hmm. Anything you haven't seen in 70 years that the government says is there is pretty much not there. But even if it was there, it's not that great amount of gold anymore. I think it's worth the total amount in Fort Knox. I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but I believe it's something like 40 billion dollars worth of gold, which would pay off about a month's worth of debt expenses of the U.S. government of them going into debt. So it's it's really mm -hmm. almost insignificant in at this point the, the total amount of gold, even if it was still there. But back then, uh, they said, oh, well, we don't really even have that much gold uh, compared to what we owe. And this is back before they started mounting up large amounts of debt. So they said, OK, well, let's uh, take the gold back and completely away from the dollar. And they knew this was going to cause a huge worldwide uproar. Uh, basically, people back then kind of understood that something should actually be backing the currency to some extent if you're going to be printing up tons of pieces of paper with dead criminals printed on it. There should mm -hmm. be some sort of reason or something backing or some limit to how you can, how much money you can print and things like that. That's really the important part. And uh, because of that, what they did was they faked the moon landing back in the 1969, 1970 on purpose. They went and played golf. Like they went up like six, seven times in a row. They were driving around in dune buggies, gold carts. Everyone in the world was like, oh, watching their television programming. Oh, wow, the U.S. is so great and so strong. And no, it was actually bankrupt. So they actually did that back then to take people's mind off of it. And I think that's what uh, 
Donnie Trump is trying to do, the reality TV star actor Donald Trump with his co-star Dennis Rodman in their in their hit movie North Korea with Little Kim. Uh, they're trying to take people's <laughs> mind off of things. They're like, oh, now we're going to go. They've been talking about Mars for a while. That's another thing. And then now there's like Space Force and all the little techie nerds in the, in the basements get all excited and start masturbating and, and, <laughs> uh, and don't really realize that everything's just falling apart right now. Well, that's it. The empire is crumbling around people. And, you know, anytime I, I pop into the United States, I'm actually shocked by, you know, the state of the roads and the state of the bridges and the state of the airports. And for the world's richest country, it, it's, yeah. It's exactly. actually the most indebted country, right? It's the most <laughs> indebted country. If you look at a list of the countries that are most indebted versus the countries that have the most savings, number one, savings China. Number two, savings Russia. Most in debt, the United States. And when you look at that, it's, you realize which countries are trying to look towards the future and which country is kind of stuck in this past economic model of aggression, which is only creating terrible results around the world. And I feel like so many people have fallen into this really just false paradigm of, you know, the U.S. is right and might is right and all these different things. When we're actually moving towards an age, due thanks to technology, where this isn't going to work anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really the case. For whatever reason, we've had this. We've had centuries and centuries of what they call empires, and you know, it starts. You know, there's been one in in uh, the Dutch, uh, the Dutch people, and then there was the Spanish uh, who con conquered all sorts of places, and and the English, of course, uh, and all that sort of things. And they had all their empires, and now we have the American Empire, and we know what happens to all these empires. Mm -hmm. They eventually just. Uh, destroy themselves, mostly because of military expenditures. And that's exactly what we're seeing with the U.S. today. Not only do they have the biggest military budget, I think they have more than all other countries combined, by the way. It's very close to all other countries combined. The U.S. has more of a military budget. And then on top of it, Donald Trump, who kind of campaigned to the people, to the sheeple who actually think that the elections are actually real and not selections. Uh, he said that, yeah, we're going to really balance the budget. So he gets in. He's like, he's had the biggest uh, deficit ever, even more than Obama since he's come in. And then he's like, let's spend more money. Let's start another branch of the military. We'll call it Space Force <laughs> and spend even more money. Uh, so, yeah, this, this whole systems going down and and you pointed out about uh, the US a lot of people who don't travel a lot really don't realize that I, I don't go to the US a lot anymore mostly because it's so irritating and unsafe and dangerous and I'm always mm -hmm. getting kidnapped by people in blue uniforms it's turned into a fascist police state um, but whenever I go, I'm like, man, this place is run down. It's like a third world country, like the roads. A lot of Americans are already starting to realize this. They're like, you know, Space Force, how about fixing? Like, we can't even drive yeah. on the roads. They're so bad now. How about like, drinking just... water for our people? I saw a report recently as Chicago, like yeah. most of the water contains lead. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's absurd beyond belief. And then you go to like Finland or Korea or some country like that. And it's like, wow, everything's so beautiful here. Yeah, most places, like even here in Mexico, a lot of people have this because they watch the television programming and they have this belief that this is some sort of third world uh, backward place. It's like, this is one of the most beautiful places. I go to some of the nicest restaurants. And you know, there's people here who don't live in like really nice houses. Some of them even live in shacks. But it's still in general kind of nicer in general than the U.S. It's just the U.S. is just falling apart. And and, and the, they really got people with the television programming and the Hollywood movies and got them thinking, yeah, we live in the rich 
richest and the strongest and the best and the freest country in the world, when actually it's almost the exact opposite. It's one of the least free countries in the world. It's one of the least richest. In terms of the U.S. government, at least, it's the most indebted government. In terms of the people, yes, there is still a fair amount of wealth because they used to be fairly free and they used to mm -hmm. have a money that used to be backed by something. So it, ha it was a sound money. So people could accumulate wealth in the past. That's become harder and harder and harder. Now, you still can, but it's, it's harder and harder every single year. Uh, and most people are actually living paycheck to paycheck now. And even the people who own things, and you go there and you see people, it's like, oh, I have this car and I have this house. Well, do you own them? Well, yeah, but, well, I have a mortgage and a lease. They're basically, they're all finance. It's all debt-based. Mm -hmm. And it's all kind of based on the U.S. dollar propping up as uh, at the value it's currently at, which it will not be very much longer, especially with Donald Trump's so-called uh, trade policies, which are tra starting trade wars around the world. That will actually destroy the value of the U.S. dollar faster than anything. And I don't know if they're doing it on purpose or not. They probably are. Uh, they do most things on purpose, but they tell the people, oh, we're here to protect you and, and uh, we're going to make it so you can't get <laughs> cheap cars from Canada or cheap avocados from Mexico or cheap this from and, and the prices everything's just going to go up the US dollar is going to start to collapse because people there won't be that balance of trade anymore there won't be anything coming out of the US uh, there won't be anything going into the US so the US dollar will just tank absolutely and people will all of a sudden realize that the US is one of the the most uh, the least richest countries in the world in terms of how much debt that they currently have and once that dollar collapses most people will have absolutely nothing yeah that's it that's it. And every year we see a continue of this funnel of whatever residual wealth there is moving from those middle classes. I mean, now more than 50% of the U.S. lives under the poverty line, which is, a sh again, shocking statistic for the richest country in the world, right? All that money is moving to the top 0.1%. And I've always thought with Mexico as well, what a, what a curse of geography uh, to have the worst neighbor basically possible with the U.S. has probably put Mexico behind so much in terms of this drug war and all these things that go on there, largely fueled by the U.S. And you start to look into it, and the big banks are, you know, of course, laundering the money for the cartels, and the CIA is enabling the, the drug running and all these different things. I remember, I can't remember the name of the president, but they had this doctrine where they basically said, all of South America, that is the U.S.'s zone of influence. I thought, what amazing arrogance to say, all those countries down there, we're going to decide the fate. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's the U.S. They're, they're pretty much doing that everywhere today. Uh, and it's really the people who even control the U.S. government. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Barack Obama. If anyone out there thinks these people have any control <laughs> of anything, they absolutely don't. They're just the talking uh, puppets. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> teleprompter readers. Trump doesn't read as much off the teleprompters. He's really good at going freestyle, but they're essentially putting out what they're told to say. And uh, and most people, I'm shocked at how many people have fallen for Trump, but I'm always shocked how many people fall for it every year. For example, when Barack Obama came in, I was shocked at how many people fell for it. I, I wrote a big thing, and this is before the Dollar Vigilante. Everything was just on my personal blog, just saying this guy's not going to be what he says he is. This, you know, this man of peace who already won the Nobel Peace Prize. He's not going to even have any peace in his entire presidency. He didn't. There was not one day without a war going on and numerous wars. In the fact, Kill list on his desk for the drone program killed an American citizen, a couple American citizens without any due process. That's the peace. Oh yeah, prize. not to mention thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other people too, and they yeah. count as well. It's not just. Americans that county. That's right. One of the biggest terrorists. He's going to have his uh, his show on Netflix coming up on the television programming, Bombs for Peace. <laughs> it's like it's so Orwellian. I can't even believe it. But yeah, people uh, <laughs> fall that, for this all the time. Is that real? Time. That's 
crazy. That's crazy. How can, how can you make a show called Bombs for Peace? <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, if you send people to enough government indoctrination camps for 12 years, you fluoridate their water, you fill them full of like 30 or 40 vaccines, which kill most of the things in their body, most of the good things in their body. You chemtrail them, you have the television programming, the Hollywood propaganda. You know, I guess you can just tell them whatever you want. They just, they're just so brain dead. They're literally zombies. Like those zombie movies aren't really like fiction <laughs> that much. It's, it's, it's actually, that's how most people are. They're literally zombies now. Uh, so yeah, getting back to, I can't believe people have fallen to, for Donald Trump. You know, it was only about 15 years ago that he said, um, uh, something along the lines, I forget the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, I could run as a Republican. People are so stupid. They wouldn't even, uh, uh, know that, you know, that, you know, that I'm actually a Democrat or whatever. And, and you see all these Republicans now and they're like, yeah, he's our guy. And, and he was actually like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. They've been good friends for decades. Oh, yeah. He's been good friends with all these guys, uh, uh, the uh, the um, Henry Kissinger, who we mentioned before, uh, his father was uh, like basically partners with the Bush crime family. Uh, they were actually involved in taking down Nikola Tesla, of all things. Very interesting. That's an interesting uh, uh, conspiracy theory there. Uh, definitely um, that never is talked about. Um, so this guy's been involved. His family's been involved for for generations, which is usually the case. And another billionaire in there is going to help out the, the little guys. Mm -hmm. and, and we're, yeah, we're here so, for you. Give us your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he steals all your money and you cheer for it. Uh, that's, you know, it's just unbelievable that people still fall for this stuff. But I think people are starting to wake up, but it's just a slow process of uh, people starting to wake up. They'll really wake up when the when the dollar really collapses and, mm -hmm. and uh, most people are, are living in the street. Then they'll really wake up. And, and it's it's an inevitability when when you see that this is just the pattern of history. And America is not going to break the mold of history. It's going to be a victim of history. And they haven't learned from those lessons. And for people that think it can't happen, that you can't wake up tomorrow and there's lines down at the bank and there's no money because it's all fractional reserve lending anyway. The, the actual dollars aren't there. And even if the dollars were there, they might not have any value. So it really comes down to, I think, and this is the next question for you, what is the real value of Bitcoin, because I know a lot of people look at the price, and this is this is where people get distracted. They look at the price of Bitcoin on any given day, but they don't understand the value of Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, for people out there who don't understand why Bitcoin or other cryptos can have value, uh, they just really don't understand money very well. Uh, one of the things I, I said earlier that one of the reasons why there wasn't much faith in the U.S. dollar after they took the gold backing away is there was nothing to restrict it from increasing in its supply. That's one of the most important things that a money should have. Uh, a money should not be able to easily increase the amount of supply dramatically at the whim of anyone. It doesn't even really matter who it is. It should not be able to increase in supply. So, for example, if gold, for example, if all of a sudden uh, 10 guys around the world all said they just found gold mines and they're, they're the biggest gold mines ever found and it's really easy to get the gold and we're going to increase the amount of gold in the market by tenfold over the next 10 years, gold would immediately go to, it's about $1,200 right now, it would go under $100 very quickly because mm -hmm. it's all supply and demand. You just look, okay, there's going to be 10 times more supply. The value of it goes down uh, 10 times. So one of the real values of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular being, you know, the biggest one out there uh, right now is it's limited in supply. In fact, it's set up in such a way that it will actually almost become a uh, 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 deflationary rather than inflationary. The deflationary part's a little bit of a problem as well, but it's, a, it's less of a problem. If you're going to have a currency, you'd rather it be deflationary than inflationary. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because uh, that, as you've seen with Bitcoin, it tends to go up in value, which is actually kind of what you'd like a money to do if you had to make it do either one, go down in value or go up in value. You'd prefer to go up in value because that actually incentivizes people to save. Mm -hmm. And savings is how we build everything. Uh, you don't have anything, including these computers we're on or anything, without capital that has actually, capital is, is uh, people who have worked in the past have saved their money and now that has a as a pool of capital that we can use to build something. So if you want to go and build a a uh, uh, a jetliner or something that costs hundreds of millions of dollars, some people in the past had to actually have saved that money to be able to create that now, and they have to have that money available. So if someone says, "Okay, I've got a plan. Will you lend me that money uh, so that I can go ahead and build it?" So uh, one of the real keys about digital cryptocurrency is that it is limited in supply, but also the great thing about it, and you know, you could talk about gold and silver, and gold and silver have been money uh, in humanity for thousands of years, as mm -hmm. far as we can tell, uh, still is today, and almost everywhere except for the US, you can go uh, with a gold or silver coin, and most people will recognize it as being valuable. Uh, in the US, they don't as much, because they're incredibly brainwashed. There was that Mark Dice video where he went around with a Hershey's chocolate bar and a 10-ounce silver bar in California, and he offered uh, one or the other to people, and everyone chose the chocolate bar. <laughs> Uh, as I was mentioning, the zombie movies are real, uh, but uh, almost everywhere else in the world, if you show up, you, you have a gold coin, people's eyes will open and go, oh, yeah, uh, if you want to trade for something, I, I'll take that. You know, they'll, they'll weigh it first or whatever and make sure that it's real, but they recognize its value. Uh, but the problem with gold and silver is that it's not that easy to transport. It's not that easy to um, transact in. So if I wanted to buy, you know, so many things come from China today, phones or whatever. If I wanted to buy a phone from China and I only had gold or silver, I'm going to have to FedEx my gold over to China. It's just like, forget about it. Uh, digital currencies just make that just mm -hmm. like a snap of a finger and so much better than the banks too. It's, it's faster, it's cheaper, it's, no one can stop the transaction. Uh, so cryptocurrencies is the best of almost every world all tied into one. And I'm not saying that crypto should be the only money out there. In fact, gold and silver, I still see a being great value. And I actually am very excited about a number of cryptocurrencies that will have gold and silver actually backing them. Of mm -hmm. course, that comes down to who you trust actually holding the gold and how they hold it. And there's always and, that uh, trust problem. Absolutely. If you don't hold it, uh, you don't own it is sort of a saying in gold. And, and that's one of the other great things about cryptos. If you actually have a crypto like Bitcoin, if you actually have it, you actually have it. If you actually have the keys, no one else, unless you gave it to someone else, no one else in the world has it. You mm -hmm. are the only one who has it. That's really important when it comes to money and ownership. Uh, with gold, that's been an issue. Uh, of course, in the past, we hear a lot about people doing midnight gardening. So they go out uh, around three in the morning, they bury some gold <laughs> in the backyard. You know, that's a good way to store some gold and make sure no one knows where it is. But it's a little, you know, that's a little irritating compared to cryptocurrencies, right? So, you know, the cryptos to me just make a ton of sense, especially in this day and age where the fiat currencies are so close to collapse. A lot of people don't realize that's the case, but that's absolutely going to happen. So it's almost like a gift from God that they came out in 2009 Bitcoin uh, when we were at the peak of that financial crisis. Like it was almost surreal that it happened is like literally a gift from God. Like, OK, we're this close to the end of the system. Here's a new tech that uh, will save everything mm -hmm. if you choose to accept it and choose to use it. And that's really the case. It's really up to humanity to realize we've all got digital phones now. I got my smartphone sitting right here I'm on a computer right now. I'm here in Mexico. Everyone's got a smartphone. Um, yeah. 
there's not many countries I've been where everyone doesn't have like a pretty decent phone. There might be places in Africa where they still got some flip phones and stuff. But you can still even do some uh, cryptocurrency related stuff uh, via SMS, and they actually do that yeah. through things like M Peso in in uh, in Africa and stuff like that. So everyone's got access to this technology now. So it's really up to people to start using it, and as they start to use it, it will actually hasten the collapse of the other fiat currency system, which will hasten the collapse of central banks, mm -hmm. which will end all wars, which will hasten the collapse of most big governments, bring them at least down by like 80, 90% in size, which will increase the prosperity on earth at like eight, nine, tenfold. Exponential value, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have peace and prosperity on earth like we've never known it if everyone out there just starts using cryptocurrencies. That's a pretty good selling feature. Gosh, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I keep uh, talking about this stuff, but it's actually, it's just so important to keep that in mind. By enabling these central banks and enabling the Wall Street bankers and enabling big government, we're only continuing the problem. You know, I really feel the same time I go to the States and even buy a coffee, I just think, well, there you go. You know, 10 cents just went to bombing kids in some foreign country. And that's nobody would sign up for that. You know, except for like the sociopaths who run the governments, they seem to think it's a great idea. But the more we can transact on a peer to peer basis uh, using cryptocurrencies, I think it has real, real power. And of course, everyone always asks, though, you know, what about the roads, Jeff? What about the roads? I need roads. And if I, if I don't have taxes and if I don't have, you know, big brother to pay for my roads and all the other things, society can't exist. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that when it comes down to the argument for or against government, so many people will bring up roads. Like of all the easiest in the world <laughs> things to do, not to mention, you can look out my window, there's a road right there, there's a road coming up, there's roads everywhere. I don't know if you've noticed, like there's pretty much this entire world is covered in roads now. So people are like, well, how can we have those if there's no extortion by the government? It's like, well, I think it'll still be there. And it's like, so, so the real question is, how do you maintain the roads? Well, as we talked about in the US, they're not even maintaining them anymore anyway. So mm -hmm. already it would be better if it just, you know, whatever happens and it ended up being privatized, of course, in one way or another. And what would really probably end up happening, although we don't know, because this is the market, the market will come up with a thousand different solutions. Some of them will be awesome. Some of them will really suck. And some people will complain, look, I heard about this one country where a guy bought all the roads and now he's charging too much. It's like, yeah, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. Hopefully someone else figures a way to do it cheaper, finds a way around it. Or Free market. Some, guy, some guy will build yeah. another road right next to it and they'll be half yeah, the price exactly, or we're right? going to use that road. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's going to be some problems and issues from time to time. But uh, what will mostly probably happen is local businesses, the gasoline companies, for example, uh, they're on every street pretty much. Mm -hmm. what, wouldn't they have an interest in making sure those roads continue to work? And wouldn't they kind of probably come together and say, hey, we now we don't have to pay any taxes. We're actually making about 50% more money every year than we were before. Why don't we as gasoline companies all get together, which happens all the time, and we'll take 20% of everything that we, we get and we'll figure out a way to make sure the roads keep working because we want those roads to work or else we're not going to sell any gasoline. And of course, there's big businesses, Walmart and all that. They'll be like, yeah, I want our road in front of our place. We want people to be, be able to get to where we are. It'll all work itself out just fine. It's uh, people get once the government starts doing something. Within 10 or 20 years, people start to think that it can't be done without government. It's mm -hmm. quite amazing because even in the U.S., it wasn't until about 100 years ago that uh, most, uh, many of the roads started to actually be operated by government or put into place. The freeways were put into place by a government and stuff like that. Before that, there was still actually roads. There was lots of roads all over the place. Uh, the, the cars were pretty crappy, the Ford Model Ts or whatever in 1913 or whatever it was. But... Uh, there was still roads and stuff, but once the government starts to do it, all of a sudden, 
people aren't very creative because they've gone through these government indoctrination camps where they're not taught how to think or how to be creative or anything. And they just assume, well, the government's done it, so that's how you get roads. It's like, no, there's other ways. Like, there's many countries. Here in Mexico, a lot of the, the good roads in between cities and stuff are all toll roads, usually private-owned. Some of the nicest roads I've ever been on, same in Chile, actually. Uh, uh, Chile, if you ever go down there from Santiago to Viña del Mar, it's all toll roads, the nicest toll roads. Like, it's, it's so beautiful. You almost want to get out and just eat off the pavement it's so perfect everything's so nice they got like a little That's ambulance a good road. yeah they got like a little ambulance set up like every 10 miles like if you ever had an accident it'd be like the easy the, the most well taken care of accident in the world um but the public roads, just like anything that's centrally planned, it just turns all to garbage. Like when you talk to an average person and you say, well, don't talk to your kids who go to college because they get taught communist stuff. But your average person who knows how the world works, they kind of understand, yeah, communism has failed so many times because central planning just doesn't work. You can't have mm -hmm. a guy sitting there telling everyone, you make this many shoes. <laughs> like it sounds stupid, right? Like you make this many cars. Oh, I heard they need more cars. You make this much. It's like, let the market do that, right? But for some reason, some people seem to think that some things need to be centrally planned. But there's absolutely no truth to that whatsoever. In fact, central planning uh, destroys everything. In fact, if you even talk about the roads, it's so funny. The same people who will fight against me and say, we can't have true anarchy because what about the roads? They're sitting in traffic for three hours a day oh, commuting because the central planning was so bad that they couldn't figure out how to. Because if it was privately mm -hmm. owned. What would you do if you had a privately owned road that people are sitting on for hours and hours not moving every day? You'd build like another level above it and get them going so you can get more yeah. customers through, right? Exactly, with central exactly. Planning, with central planning, it's a bunch of government bureau rats <laughs> all eating their, their $500 dinners at night and drinking their wine and having giant guts like that guy in New Jersey. And uh, they don't care. Uh, exactly, so the they were, don't care. They don't care. They're not incentivized to care. Yeah, they have no interest in it whatsoever. All they care is they get reelected, and so that's all they care about. And they'll just come out and, and tell you what you want to hear, and, and people just keep eating it up and, and sitting in the traffic and going, well, good mm -hmm. thing we got these roads. It's like those roads don't <laughs> even barely work, man. And not to mention how we have the technology. I've been seeing all these jetpack technology. There's a little quadcopter, little motorcycle now that's mm -hmm. a drone motorcycle. Like we're pretty close. To, if They'll probably try to outlaw it or regulate it so you can't do it. They'll say, oh, that's too dangerous for people to have. <laughs> because if people start to realize that, it's like, well, we don't even need roads anymore. Oh, it's, it's so true. And it's like you said, the free market will actually, you're paying for the roads anyway with taxes. So why not just pay for them on a use basis? Cause think, think about how often you actually drive. And for some people, they're going to be driving every day and they might sit on a particular road every day. Well, why not just pay for that particular road that you're using? But when you start to think about it, most people might not drive the weekend or, you know, some people are driving more companies are certainly getting the lion's share of the benefit from the roads. And so when you start to take in all these equations, if you're, you know, a little old grandma and you sit around in your house or you don't drive very much because maybe you work from home, you're paying a disproportionate amount for those roads based on how much you're actually using them. And so with, with new technology, especially with you could blockchain technology and IoT kind of cryptocurrencies, you could just put a little tag on your car, drive down the road and you just get charged for the road use that you actually use by the companies who are maintaining them. You could actually have nice roads, better outcomes, right? Now, I wanted to switch pace a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about EOS. You did a music video for EOS, and it was great, by the way. It was, it was you know, really classic style sort of a music video. And so I, I certainly appreciate the inspiration behind it and, you know, the idea to actually get out there and put together a cool music video like that. Was was that your wife in the music video, by the way? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, it was my wife and uh, another girl at the end of it. But, uh, yeah, she was actually in my first uh, video with Bitcoin all the way up as well. <laughs> nice, nice.
Now, um, you're part of a group that's putting together Liberty Block, which currently is number 23 on the block producer list. So you guys aren't quite in the block producers. So what would you need to actually get into the top 21? And how are you guys planning to kind of become one of the top 21 block producers? Well, I should say Liberty Block, our main intention is just to make sure EOS uh, is as successful as possible, is as free market as possible. It sticks to the roots of what Dan Larimer believes. Uh, he's an anarcho-capitalist. Uh, he believes in a lot of, all the same things that we were just talking about, about the roads and all that. It all be done privately. Uh, EOS is really a truly free market. It's the first really truly free market sort of uh, DAP uh, uh, sort of system, uh, similar to Ethereum, but Ethereum is more uh, controlled. Uh, the way I describe it is Ethereum is more like, and nothing against Ethereum, by the way, big fan of Ethereum, uh, but Ethereum is more like the Apple, uh, where you can only buy things on the Apple store. Uh, EOS is a bit more like sort of like Google or Android in that you can s install whatever apps you want. It's a little bit more free market. It mm -hmm. gets more complicated than that, but that's a good way to explain the differences between the two. Uh, so the reason with Liberty Block, and, and you know, we're not like doing it, become one of the 21 top block producers just to make money or something like that. We really want to do this to make sure EOS uh, succeeds. And in order to succeed, it really needs to have really strong uh, free market sort of uh, roots and fundamentals. So already we've seen some issues with EOS, with the Constitution, with things mm -hmm. like that. And the Constitution is kind of a strange sort of a thing for us anarcho-capitalists. And actually, it looks like it's already being ditched. So we're basically what's happening with EOS is it's a complete experiment in free marketism and because of that we're just trying stuff and some things work and some things don't so this constitution already looks like okay this isn't really going to work I don't know why we even tried it really to be honest uh, but you know there was some ideas around it um, but it, it's not really working out all that well so we want to be there as Liberty Block and say okay let's make sure we keep EOS as free market as possible let's make sure the market decides as much as possible so that's really the goal of Liberty Block is to be involved. I'm a huge fan of EOS uh, since I found out about it. And I found out about it because I was actually on Steam, uh, steamit.com. I'm, I think, the top person on steamit.com. I started posting content there two years ago. And it's a great site if people still don't know about it. Get on it. It's, oh, absolutely. Uh, you got to get on the Steamit, guys, if you're not in there yet. Yeah, it's a decentralized sort of social media platform. We actually get paid in cryptocurrency for your content if people like it. So I've made, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Steemit.com. And I know people have made tens of thousands and, and lots of people make thousands of dollars on there. And this is legitimate. It's 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 an amazing system. I was shocked at how well it worked. And when I first got on uh, Steam, uh, Steemit.com two years ago, I was like, I don't know if this is going to last because I don't know if it's, you know, if I, I don't understand how it could last, for, you know, for a long period of time and just giving out all this cryptocurrency. Eventually, the cryptocurrency will go down to zero. I thought it's still around. It's still doing pretty well. Uh, it's still growing. And there's actually lots of reasons to think it will do quite well. So once I realized that and I realized the genius of the development of it, I looked into it and I'm like, who made this? And I found out very quickly it was Dan Larimer. I found out very quickly after that that he actually had already started something else called BitShares, which is still in the top 20 or 30 uh, cryptocurrencies out there. It's, it's actually one of the uh, most used sort of uh, blockchains out there still. So, so EOS is actually his third a blockchain cryptocurrency type uh, venture, which is I don't think anyone else has a resume resume like that. Even even Vitalik Buterin, I think Ethereum was his only one. Not to say that the more you have, the better you are. I think, but he's he's gone through this like 
three times already mm -hmm. in the cryptocurrency space and both of the past ones where you can consider them to be successes absolutely steam was, was an a success it still is a success uh, and now he's doing eos so and then when I found out he was an anarcho-capitalist, he had all the same sort of values and beliefs as me. And, and the values and beliefs are very simple. You just don't hurt other people. You don't use violence against other people. Uh, that I was like, well, I have to get behind this one way or another. And once I saw what he was building and I saw how much money they brought in, I was like, man, this is our opportunity to really build out a really true free market sort of digital system. Uh, that could change the world. Uh, so that's really the the idea behind Liberty Block, and we partnered with Avestopedia, um, mm -hmm. uh, or, or sorry, Everpedia. Everpedia sorry, yep. yeah, uh, sorry, Everpedia, which was the first um, uh, what were they called? The the money drops or whatever. What do you call those things? The airdrop. Yep. Airdrops. There, <laughs> it was the first airdrop I think on EOS. Uh, we and we partnered with, with a number of other people. We're actually quite involved with the EOS development. So we've got a, an incredible technical team and a, a bunch of things, uh, and we're really involved in just sort of trying to make sure EOS has the best chance possible to succeed. And you know, we don't know if it's going to succeed. This is like such an experiment, but it's it's literally got billions of dollars behind it now. It's got an amazing plan. Uh, it's really now up to the EOS ecosystem to see if we can make it work. So that's why I'm. In Involved in Liberty Block is not because I just want to make a bunch of EOS by being a block producer. It's because I really want to see this thing work. Nice, nice. Well, I hope you can get into the top 21 soon so you can have your voice uh, heard more because I think that having that kind of voice in the ecosystem is important because, you know, I don't know what the other block producers, what their ethos is necessarily, but certainly having that kind of an idea in there I think is important. And look, EOS gets a lot of criticism. A lot of criticism. You don't make it to, you know, number five on the total market cap of cryptocurrencies without, you know, having to, to wade through the crap in terms of criticism, <laughs> right? But it is an experiment. And I think that is one thing people really need to keep in mind with EOS is that it's an experiment. It's an experiment in how to launch a cryptocurrency and it's an experiment in governance. And we are, like I said, we're already looking at a revision, if not a dropping of the constitution that they tried to implement. And so even all these little things come in. It's, it's just really a wait and see game right now with EOS. Where is it going to go? How is it going to develop? And how successful is this social experiment going to be essentially? Yeah, it's really just like any investment in that you're really buying into the people. Uh, and just I've been an investor for 20, 30 years. And number one question is, well, who's, who's, who, whose company is it or who's managing it? Uh, it doesn't even really matter as much what the company does. It's I want to know who these people are and what their track record is. And, and that's why I really got behind EOS originally was with, with Dan Larimer's track record with uh, that sort of a thing. It's just like, you know, investing in Steve Jobs when you found out he, he came back with Apple, you start buying Apple stock. It's for the same reason. It's because mm -hmm. you're, you know this person knows what they're doing. And you know they're, I consider Dan Laramere to be one of the geniuses in the space. I consider Vitalik Buterin to be another one. Uh, and then after that, everyone else is not quite as genius level. I consider them to be sort of the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, uh, sort of of this space. No, nowhere near as bad as Bill Gates, obviously, not trying to depopulate the planet or anything. But, yeah. uh, you know, they're kind of like the, the two sort of top innovators in the space, even though Bill Gates wasn't even an innovator. He mostly took over most of the technologies, including the original DOS. Long story, he's actually comes from an elite family and all that. I, I just use it as a, as a rough comparison just to kind of give people an idea of how I see the crypto market. But I see Vitalik and Dan as being the two main geniuses, innovators in the space. And yeah, with EOS, we'll see what happens. But already it's got a pretty amazing sort of idea. And that is that 
anyone who uses EOS products that are, you know, applications that are on the EOS blockchain will not have to pay anything to use it. That's huge when it comes to getting the consumers involved in the market. Because if you say to a consumer who doesn't know much about cryptos or anything, you say, hey, there's this thing you might want to get involved in on the internet. Maybe you like it for whatever reason. It's called CryptoKitties. Maybe you like CryptoKitties. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I do. I like kitties. And so, oh, CryptoKitties, this is fun. And then it, they go, yeah, so if you want to buy some, you have to get some Ethereum. You have to pay some Steam. You know, you've got to pay some gas fees. Uh, and, and, you know, very quickly, your average consumer is like, oh, I, yeah, that's too com complicated or confused. I don't want to actually have to buy something else to, to transfer it and all that kind of stuff. Whereas EOS is already set up in, in a way that, that your average, your consumer doesn't have to actually do anything except for just be involved in whatever mm -hmm. they're using on that system. So that alone is pretty big. And then you talk about the transaction uh, speeds. That's been a huge issue uh, with Ethereum uh, and uh, a number of actually, that's been an issue with Bitcoin. That was the big issue last year with scaling of Bitcoin. Uh, EOS, well, look at Steam. What are the top most used blockchains out there? Actually, it's Steam. Uh, block shares are uh, what, what's called bit shares, the one that Dan Larimer created, and EOS is already in the top five, I think. So, Dan Larimer's already created three systems that already can do massive amounts of transactions, way above what Bitcoin can do and way above what Ethereum can currently do. And of course, Ethereum's working on things, and Bitcoin's working on things like Lightning Network, mm -hmm. which may or may not work. I've been very, uh, uh, you know, a lot of criticism about how that's been developed, uh, but EOS has already done it. And so it's already fixed those problems. Now, a lot of people will say, well, but how decentralized is it with this 21 block producers and all that? You can get into that conversation. Uh, it's an interesting conversation. I don't think it's decided at all uh, because if you look at Bitcoin and, and say, okay, yeah, Bitcoin is very decentralized. That's for sure. Anyone in the world could become a Bitcoin miner. But really, who are the top miners? Uh, mm. Who controls most of the mining? The, I, haven't done the, I haven't looked at the numbers lately. but the Shocking percentages in the hands of Bitmain. Yeah. Uh, it's basically 90% of the mining is controlled by four or five groups, if I understand you know, generally what the numbers were. Uh, it might be a little bit less or a little bit more, uh, but that's generally what we're talking about. So in that sense, Bitcoin isn't all that decentralized. It can be decentralized. And, you know, if, if Bitmain got taken down by the Chinese government, it would become way more decentralized very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, EOS uh, is in, in some ways just as decentralized or more decentralized with its current system and can do way more transactions. So, you know, there is ways of thinking about EOS that, because what are some of the issues with Bitcoin? Transaction costs, right? EOS has none. Um, what are some of the issues with Bitcoin? Uh, transaction speeds. Uh, it can only do so many because, you know, some of the developers of Bitcoin Core said, let's keep Bitcoin working just on a floppy disk from the 1980s on a one megabyte uh, a, a block system. Uh, EOS can already do tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't even know how many transactions. They talk about uh, possibly millions of transactions per second. So EOS has already solved many of the things that Bitcoin and Ethereum are still trying to solve. So when you look at that, EOS at a, at a market cap of seven billion, Bitcoin at over a hundred billion, Ethereum at fifty billion, and you and you go, well, EOS has already surpassed them in many ways. You kind of wonder maybe EOS could surpass them all quite quickly if. If, if it really works. And we're going to see. We just launched this in the last few weeks. So we're still in the very early days. But 
you know, that's why I recommended EOS to subscribers at a dollar vigilante initially at about a dollar thirty, and it went down to fifty cents afterwards. And a lot of people I on the internet said fifty cents was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was I was actually not all that upset either. I was like, oh wow, like I get to buy way more now. <laughs> and I, I recommended to the subscribers at the time, and a lot of people bought at fifty cents from our subscribers. So all you guys out there who bought because of me, please vote for Liberty Block. But if you want, of course, if you don't like me, I don't know why you wouldn't. After I told you to buy EOS. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we're you know that's why I got so excited about it. I'm like this thing could could really be a Bitcoin or Ethereum killer. Not to say that I'm anti Bitcoin or anti Ethereum or anything, but it's already fixed a lot of the issues that Bitcoin and mm -hmm. Ethereum are, are still working on. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting, I guess, to see how this experiment rolls out as as time goes on. It certainly has a lot of promise, and I, th I know we'll all be watching to really see you know how it continues to develop it. Like you said, it's still super early stages for it. Now, Jeff, I, I want to get on to one final topic here, and that is Anarchapoco. So Anarchapoco is, you know, this event that keeps growing and growing in scope and in, in what it's doing. And so, I mean, I'm getting my tickets, so I'm really excited to come uh, next year. I'm quite uh, disappointed I didn't get to go last year or this year, actually, but but definitely looking forward to that next year. So what can we expect from Anarchapoco in 2019? Yeah, uh, well, we've already got a, an amazing lineup of people. For people who don't know what Anarchopoco is, is essentially a, a conference for anarcho-capitalists, anarchists, voluntarists, anyone who believes in not using violence against other people, anyone who's against slavery, human slavery, <laughs> which should be a lot more people. It's surprising so many people are actually for slavery. So many people don't even know that there's that there's <laughs> slaves in the world today. It's It's bigger than it's ever been in the past. Exactly. If you're if you're being taxed and you didn't agree to it, you are a slave. And uh, most people don't uh, realize that because they went to the government indoctrination camps. We already talked about that. But uh, Anarchapoco has been growing like crazy. We've actually doubled in size in audience size every year since our beginning. And we're going into our fifth year in 2019. We've got uh, speakers, uh, Ron Paul, Judge Napolitano, David Icke. Uh, Doug Casey, Cynthia McKinney, who came out as an anarchist uh, last year. She used to be in Congress um, and a ton of other people. And for the people who are watching your show, the very last day of Anarchapoco is called Cryptopoco, which uh, next year uh, in it'll be February 14th to 17th, Anarchapoco. So on the 17th is Cryptopoco, and it's all t uh, focused on blockchain and, and cryptocurrency technologies. Uh, we've been doing that for a couple of years now because we saw really this, this is going to be a huge part of how we get freedom into the world world mm -hmm. uh, is using these technologies. So uh, that's a big part of it. We have a lot of the top people. I've actually tried to have Dan Larimer. He agreed to come in the last two years and then canceled about a month before uh, both times. Uh, both, I totally understand. Uh, the last time, it's kind of funny now that I think about it. I never thought about it. Uh, it was about the last time he was just about to quit Steam and start EOS. And I think he just announced that he quit Steam and he was going through a lot of stuff. And um, and so he canceled. And I was like, yeah, I kind of understand. You know, you're going through some major changes. Totally understand. Uh, you know, thanks for considering. And then the, uh, this year uh, uh, he canceled about a month before. And it was because EOS was going through all these major changes. And mm -hmm. uh, he was flying all over the place to all these events to, you know, do all sorts of things with EOS. He's like, Jeff, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so busy. I just can't make it this year i'm like i said to i said to dan i said you know just keep working on eos man that's all good hopefully next year you can make it out so i think i've gotten him to say maybe next year we'll see what happens but we get those sort of people to come down to crypto poco um and it's really a full week of just sort of freedom related events but not only freedom but also how to improve your life uh, mm -hmm. physically 
physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, find generally freedom because what I've found actually, I started in Arcapulco with the goal of generally ending governments and central banks, and that's why the goal of Dollar Vigilante as well. But what I found during my own personal development was that most of the things that were keeping me from true freedom were actually inside my own head more than outside of my own body. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the, that there's a whole three day health and wellness, uh, uh, thing before in Arcapulco. Uh, this in 2019, we're going to have the urban farmer there. I haven't even announced this yet. Curtis Stone uh, doing a one-day thing on how to grow your own food in your own yard. If everyone just started doing that, that would change the entire system dramatically overnight. Uh, everyone would be so much healthier. They'd be so much happier. You wouldn't even really need a lot of your jobs. He makes a hundred thousand dollars growing uh, food on a quarter-acre lot in his basically where he lives in his in his rural in his city neighborhood urban neighborhood um stuff like that all kinds of health related stuff psychedelic related stuff uh all kinds of uh, meditation yoga all kinds of ways of like expanding your mind improving your life um it's all sort of centered around so for for the few days before in arcapulco there's the health and wellness we also have the dollar vigilante summit which are two days before in arcapulco as well on february 12th and 13th and that's got people like uh doug casey and uh so many really uh smart people in the finance and investment uh, sort of market and a lot of cryptocurrency people as well and then we've got the four day in arcapulco ending with cryptopoco after that so it's really almost like a more than a week or it really some people come a week before and stay a week after and uh just enjoy being around what is now thousands of free free-minded sort of people all on a beautiful beach right here in, in February. Which, uh, yeah, it sounds pretty good to a lot of people. Live. This whole global warming thing just isn't working out. It's like freezing cold everywhere now. So <laughs> so it's a pretty good place to be in February. That, that's really great. I think the, uh, the idea of being able to connect with people, that's one of the most important things of these conferences and events. And for anyone who hasn't been to a big event like this before, it, it offers such an amazing opportunity to connect with like-minded people. And that's why I love going to conferences because you actually get to talk to people and share these ideas. Sometimes I know a lot of people out there and I know a lot of my subscribers feel this way. Like there's no one to talk to about all this stuff. They feel like it's just me out here, you know, floating around internet land. I talk to people in forums once in a while or something like that. But there's whole communities out there of people working on, you know, decentralization of the world, essentially. And cryptocurrencies are just, you know, the tip of the iceberg when it comes down to it. And I know on my channel, I talk about cryptocurrencies a lot, but... There's so much more to the picture than that. So I think was like right now, if, if you get in, if you get a ticket before the end of July, it's it's uh, on a discount, right? Yeah, the prices are going up uh, $50 a ticket at the end of July. I'm not sure what the prices are right now. I think it's 345 so it'll be going up to like 395 right now, I think. Okay, so it'll be going up to 445 uh, at end of July then. There you go. So if you guys want to get in before the prices go up, you know, make sure you go and get one of those tickets uh, before the end of July. But it sounds like an exciting time. I'm going to be my tickets probably next week. So I'll be excited awesome. to come down and, you know, see you, see you in Mexico uh, in February next year. It's certainly going to be a lot of fun. And for anyone who wants more information about Anarchapoco, there's going to be a link in the description down below. So go over there and check that out. Also, if you're not subscribed to the Dollar Vigilante or any of his other uh, channels yet, the Anarchast, the links for those in the description as well. So if you want to follow Jeff along. And, you know, we didn't even get into so much stuff like, you know, your your uh, your, your anarchy trips. We went into like Zimbabwe and Somalia and stuff. But, you know, I'm very keenly aware that we're, we're going into a lot of time here. And I keep uh, you know, respect <laughs> for my the, our audience's times. But, you know, definitely follow Jeff along. You know, he's always up to something interesting and you got a great message, Jeff. So thanks for taking the time to sit down with me today and to, you know, talk to the audience about some of your, you know, what's going on in the world and what's going on with EOS. And of course, you know, 
letting everyone know about Anarchapoco. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, we should definitely do it again sometime. Maybe when you come down to Anarchapoco, uh, we can try to get together and do another show. Sounds fantastic. I'm in. We'll see All you right. next time. Okay, thanks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.